So many films about the subject of war have been made glorifying and sometimes romanticizing the subject. Taking us through the heat of battle, and ending with big hooray kind of feeling. Today, however, I want to talk to you about a film that does neither of those things. A film that forever changed me and absolutely horrified me to my core. Come and See is impactful to say the absolute least, and it's the main reason why I started this podcast. I needed to talk about it and the impact it had on me. So if you're like me and you enjoy film, and the emotions that it can convey. Then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a glass of bourbon from our friends down at Buffalo Trace in Kentucky. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the emotions and impact of film. Welcome to Glazed Cinema. story, and that story is equally as important as the film itself. Come and See is directed by Elam Klimov, a man who studied at Gersimov Institute of Cinematography, or VGIK in Moscow, and he attended the university from 1953 to 1957. Klimov would enter university at the dawn of a new age in Soviet cinema, sailing on waters uncharted by those before him. For you see, 1953 is not just the year that Klimov entered into cinematic history, but it's also the year that Joseph Stalin died. I can only imagine the mixed feelings Soviet society must have had. After all, there are many people, like Klimov, who had lived their entire lives under Stalin's reign. Now, an ideological shift was coming in the form of a rising new leader by the name of Nikita Khrushchev. In fact, it was in 1956, three years after Stalin's passing, that Khrushchev brought about a movement called de-Stalinization. For those unaware, de-Stalinization was the plan to move away from Stalin's previous efforts, and this affected most things in Soviet culture, including art. You see, art, up until Stalin's death, had been deeply censored, and everything was critiqued prior to release, particularly film. Stalin understood the power film had on its audience, and that it reached a broader people than other mediums. Unlike books, for example, controlling film allowed his arm to reach across the country and could reach a broader spectrum. The illiterate, intelligentsia, the wealthy, poor, and everything in between could watch and relate to a film, 
and Stalin would use that art form and power to spread propaganda and communist values. Now let's take a bit of a step back and talk about Klimov himself, because there's one experience that's going to prove important when talking about our film today. Klimov was born during the year 1933 in Stalingrad, now called Volgograd. He grew up experiencing the Great Depression and World War II, and survived the Battle of Stalingrad as a young boy. During that battle, he was fleeing with his mother while the Axis powers assaulted the city. During an interview, which can be found on YouTube, Klimov recalled what he had seen during their escape. Quote, As a boy, naturally, I saw all those bombings. I remember us crossing the Volga and going behind the Urals. My mom, my baby brother, we crossed the river in Stalingrad. It was October 1942. We were sitting in a shed on a ferry. Stalingrad was situated on the right bank of the Volga. It was a long city, at the time 60 kilometers long. Nowadays, I guess, it is maybe 120 kilometers long, or even more. Gee, a long city like a tube. At that time, it was all ablaze. The river was ablaze too, this patch of fire being 1.5 kilometers wide. They had bombed a petroleum terminal, and it all went down into the water, and the water was on fire. And we were being bombed. The water reached a boiling point because of all this. Our mothers covered us with their bodies. They put on top of us blankets, pillows, and themselves too. On top of us all. Of course, I would peek out because I was curious. It was a long way to the Urals. My father stayed behind in Stalingrad to defend it. Naturally, I'm burdened with very strong recollections of that hell, because it was an excursion to hell, and it lives in me forever. So I thought it was a must with me to shoot a film about the war. That one reason. End quote. I cannot even begin to fathom such a sight and experience, and do not wish to. An experience such as that, something so horrifying, vivid, and dangerous, can only linger in our consciousness. He mentions the feeling of it being an excursion to hell, which we'll revisit a little later on as well. I think it's important, though, to put ourselves there. To get even the tiniest glimpse at an experience that clearly haunted him, and drove him while making Come and See. Now, apart from his experiences, Klimov obviously loved film. You must love film to pursue directing, and we haven't talked about what that was like growing up and in university. Now, film as a whole under Stalin would have to meet the censorship demands of what he coined socialist realism. To fit the bill, the film must appeal to the masses, have a likable hero, and above all, support the Communist Party. There were many effects stemming from the cause of this intense censorship. One effect was the director's ability or inability to match the censorship rules of the regime. Those who were willing to meet the demands would produce more films and earn a decent wage. 
those who could not adapt were either exiled or silenced. Also, just for context, you may think that silenced meant that someone would show up at your house with a black bag and that person would be lost. However, being silent didn't implicate death, although sometimes it did. Silence could mean a number of things, but most commonly, this meant the industrial shunning of the artist. This led to the loss of their artistic expression or voice. Destalinization would also affect censorship, as it too became more relaxed. This by no means meant freedom of press. I mean, it's not like people woke up and they could suddenly say and write anything that they pleased, but I think it's good to understand what film and arts culture was like when Klimov was growing up and coming into university. Now, in terms of Soviet directors, there were few bigger than Sergei Eisenstein. Eisenstein's directing and his films have had an impact on cinema that can still be felt today. He is known for films such as Ivan the Terrible, Strike, and of course, Battleship Potemkin. The latter, a film about revolution and based on true events, presented Eisenstein with international acclaim. And for many outside of the USSR, Sergei Eisenstein was Soviet cinema. Now, destalinization, like Khrushchev, wasn't perfect. And while certain old standards remained, arts and media as a whole were about to see a breakthrough with numerous voices rising with something meaningful to say. For cinema, these voices were the likes of Bondarchuk, Tarkovsky, Shushkin, and Klimov. Elam had made several connections while at university, but none more important than another aspiring director named Larisa Shapitko, who he would later marry. Shapitko was a great director in her own right, making great films such as 1966's Wings and 1977's The Ascent. Wings is about a school principal and former female war pilot dealing with her past and present. And The Ascent is about two men making a journey into enemy lines and the depths of their souls. At that time, Klimov had made several films of his own, and at the time of The Ascent, he began writing a project with an author named Alice Adamovich about the Belarusian wars based on Adamovich's novel. At that early stage, they had named the project Kill Hitler. Larissa's next project, Farewell to Meteora, saw her making a film based on the Rasputin novel of the same name. Larissa had been working on the project and was scouting locations with her film crew when they were tragically killed in a car accident in 1979. Klimov, dealing with the unfathomable loss of his wife, decided to honor her by finishing the film that she started and changed the name simply to Farewell. With this unimaginable loss, Klimov had finished three feature-length films, including Agony, Farewell, and also the short film honoring his wife, titled Larissa. In 1984, Klimov would revisit the project he began working on back in 1977, a film that was haunted due to censorship 
and demands that could not be met. The project would be picked up once again by Adamovich and Klimov, and instead of the title being Kill Hitler, they would change it to Come and See. Come and See is based on a true story of Alice Adamovich during the Belarusian Wars of World War II. Drawing on his hellish experience of the war, coupled with Adamovich's book and the loss of Larisa Shibitko, Klimov set forth to direct. In a true homage to Belarus, Klimov chose to only shoot on Belarusian soil. He only used amateur actors who would speak their native Belarusian. The film itself follows a boy named Floria, played by Alexei Kravchenko. And if you've never seen the film, then the title may at least shed some light on the tone of the film. The phrase come and see stems from the book of Revelations. Quote, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth." End quote. The title is incredibly fitting, for we as an audience follow Floria through hell on earth. Come and See is a true sensory experience, and the score is very unsettling and haunts the movie, starting with the very opening scene. The story of the film is quite important. Important in the sense that it's dealing with a historical subject, but in doing so is also speaking for those lost during a truly scarring point in Belarusian history. Taking place during the Nazi invasion of World War II, this film recants the Belarusian genocide through the eyes of children. Klimov stated in an interview from 2001, as can be seen on Criterion's release of the film, quote, I would open the book very often because it kept me from the tiniest falsehood. The subject was too sacred for us to be false. I would tell Alice, should I be earnest, which I bet I will, no one will watch this film. Alice said, all right, but we have to make this film all the same. End quote. That quote alone goes to show how important this was to both men, that they get this film right and do the subject matter justice. The film itself starts with Floria, who looks to be somewhere between 12 and 13 years old, digging in sand, while an odd, deep, raspy-voiced boy barks orders like a drill sergeant. Floria digging while unsettling music and the boy's barrage of orders, comments of war, uncovers a rifle, and together they run off as the title of the film flashes in black font. The next scene, we see a woman staring at us. This is Floria's mother. Floria wants to go to war. Realizing what this would mean for her and Floria's two younger siblings, she pleads with him to stay and to not go. This leads to a sequence in which she runs to the other room on the verge of tears and returns with an axe. 
She lays the axe in his lap, and when asked what she is doing, she pulls the two small children out of bed and tells him to kill her and his siblings. He smiles at the two children and winks, and his mother begins beating him with a length of rope. She drops the rope and begins to leave the house before stopping in the doorway. The two children begin play-hitting each other, mimicking the scene that just unfurled before them. Before she pivots to leave, she screams, You're not going. You're not going. The camera turns to Floria, who sits in a chair, and as he turns his head, we see two Belarusian soldiers looking through the window. The war, it seems, has arrived at their doorstep. Eventually, Floria leaves with the soldiers, proud and optimistic of the journey he is taking, hopeful that he can be heroic, joining the cause. They soon arrive at a military camp within a forest, where we see numerous Belarusian soldiers attempting to take a group photo amongst the tall trees. Floria sees a girl lift her head to look at him, and is quite literally knocked backwards. The girl's name is Glasha, and she too looks to be about 12 or 13 years old. As the soldiers leave to go to war, Floria and Glasha talk and dance in a lush green forest. They talk about love, marriage, and the life ahead of them. Rain starts to fall, and Glasha happily dances in the raindrops, and Floria looks on smiling, the sun bouncing off her shoulders. In a moment, bombs will drop as the two run away from danger together. And as we leave the forest scene behind us, so do we leave the last bit of reprieve as we begin the descent into hell. By the time the film is over, Floria and Glasha will be unrecognizable from the versions of themselves that we've just departed from, gleefully dancing and smiling in the lush forest. What unfolds after their departure of this forest is the unraveling of humanity as we are familiar with it. What we're left with is the inhuman act of war stripped down to its bare bones. Ugly, horrific, violent, senseless. There is no hero, for there is no trace of heroism to be found. There is, however, plenty of evil to go around. But more than that, the evil intensifies as the film continues. You know that old saying, it can't be worse than this? Well, in Come and See, it always gets worse. Even during the bits of non-violence, the score doesn't relent and makes you feel that danger is right around the corner. The sad part is, it almost always is. This is, after all, a film set in Belarus during the Nazi invasion, and we all know how terribly cruel and inhuman they were. This film is a hard watch, at certain points almost unbearable. As I said before, this film stuck with me for weeks afterward. I would reflect on it constantly. I would be very concerned if someone watched and wasn't moved to contemplate the fallout of genocide. It also gave me a little bit of insight into the inner torment 
that Klimov must have been feeling after losing his wife. The sadness, pain, hopelessness, something I cannot and hope not to ever experience. Having said all that, though, I can also honestly say that this is one of the most important films I've ever seen. In my personal opinion, if everyone was to watch this film, I believe we would look at the act of war and violence on each other in a very different light. So often, news talks of war as if it is some run-of-the-mill event happening far across the globe. We often forget that there are people on both sides fighting these wars, and that no side truly wins. Innocent people are caught in the middle, just trying to survive or live their day-to-day lives and get by. But getting back to the film, there are sequences in this film that I will not soon forget, like when Floria returns to his family home with Glasha. That sequence is very powerful and extremely well done. We see Floria return to his abode, expecting to find his mother and hear the laughter of his siblings playing. Instead, he returns to an empty house. There is no mother, no siblings playing, not a sound, except one. We, as an audience, are assaulted by the sound of buzzing flies. The music grows out of this sound and has a unique feeling of being quite abrasive while still maintaining the feeling of emptiness. There is still food left out, things on the floor and table, all accompanied by flies. Floria has a feeling where his family is, and as he looks at Glasha, he smiles, filled with hope. She smiles back, and Floria begins to run off, only to stop before he reaches a barn and begins to run back. He has forgotten his rifle, and he gives himself some verbal thrashing for it. Retrieving the rifle, Floria runs ahead as Glasha runs behind him, trying to catch up. Glasha smiles, running through the green fields as wind rushes through her hair, as we see Floria on the path ahead of her. As we pass the wood barn, Glasha looks over her shoulder, and she stutter steps forward. Her smile turns to a look of shock, and the camera quickly cuts, and we see a number of bodies piled up in front of the barn, the source of the flies. Glasha puts her hands over her face, and she pivots to run again. Floria does not see this, only Glasha, and she runs, letting out an audible scream, frantically running onward to catch up with Floria, urging him to hurry up. There are so many scenes that I could talk about, but I will say that the ending is extremely disturbing for so many reasons, particularly what happens to Glasha. Now this podcast is spoiler-free, so I will not divulge anything that may give away the ending or important points of a film. However, there are certain subjects that I have a very hard time with, to the point that I'll get physically ill when someone talks about it, particularly the subject of rape. It affects me greatly, and as a bit of a disclaimer, if you are like me in this regard, 
there are scenes in the latter portion of this film that are quite disturbing. Now, there are no grotesque visuals of what happens, thankfully, just the aftermath of the act, which is still quite hard and very sad. I know that if I were to watch a film, I would want to know beforehand, as someone who has a hard time with that subject. I just want to give you the same courtesy. My wife didn't watch this film with me, and I remember I watched it in the dark with the door closed. When the credits rolled, I was emotionally and mentally spent. I sat there gazing at the film menu for several minutes on the verge of tears, essentially trying to decompress and somehow digest everything I had just seen. I remember uttering the words, wow, eventually, and that's when I got up and opened the door of our bedroom. I saw my wife, and she could tell that this movie affected me and asked if I was okay, and how the film was. I told her, I will never be the same man I was two hours ago. She looked at me, concerned and puzzled, but the truth is, I meant every word of it, and still mean it today. Come and see is exceptionally powerful, and as I stated earlier, it changed my outlook of the world around me. Now, obviously, not everyone is going to have the same reaction to a film. That's true of anything. Truth be told, when the last images faded to black, I felt a lot of emotions. Horror, aversion, sadness, hopelessness. Reflecting on the film a few days later, I kept coming back to one word, something that is rarely seen in the film, if at all, which is empathy. The sad fact is, some people in this world do not practice empathy. I can speak to it from a personal experience. One of my friends was horrifically killed by another individual, which made me look at people in a different light. An act where empathy was nowhere to be found, where the only sort of contemplation was done in violence and hatred. I truly believe that if people that commit horrifying acts of violence, like the ones portrayed in Come and See, pictured themselves or their loved ones as their victims, they would hesitate to act. Now, there are a lot of things you can take away from Come and See. One being that war is horrific and senseless. The other, just how violent and horrible human beings are capable of being, and how we can learn from that. But what I took is that we should practice more empathy as a human race. By doing so, we can help prevent and eliminate these senseless acts of genocide and violence from happening again. Getting back to the film, though, a lot of things in that movie stuck with me, but I'd like to talk about the final minutes. Now, again, this is a spoiler-free podcast. I say that because there is a sequence directly before what I am about to relay that will not be spoken of. If I can quote the great Roger Ebert, who put it best in a review of Come and See back in 2010, he said, quote, I must not describe the famous scene at the end. It must unfold as a surprise to you. It pretends to roll back history. You will see how. It is unutterably depressing 
because history can never undo itself and is with us forever. End quote. Like Roger Ebert himself stated, it must be viewed to be felt and experienced fully. I will, however, tell you about the ending sequence of the film, which is accompanied by Mozart's tragic Lacrimosa. The sequence begins with a message in red font on a black background, which states in Russian text, quote, The Nazis burned down 628 Belarusian villages, together with all the people in them. End quote. Once that title passes, we join the Belarusian soldiers as they begin marching down a dirt path with the dark, thickly wooded forest on both sides. The camera cuts through a line in the woods, stepping through thick and shadowed underbrush. Throughout our excursion, we see the unit traverse the path through the trunks of trees. We get closer and closer until rejoining their ranks on the path as the camera abruptly stops. The film ends as we watch the unit walk onward and into the woods, we lose them in the thick forest. The camera then aims skyward as the film fades to black. An interesting tidbit is that within this scene, the camera used here is an early Steadicam which guides us through the dark underbrush. If this was made during Stalin's reign, the ending would feel much different. I imagine this moment would feel like a rousing go get em kind of moment, where we cheer on the troops to fight against evil as we, the audience, leave the film to go out our daily lives, far removed from any true act of war. This moment, however, is quite opposite in Come and See. Instead, I wanted them to stop. I wanted to hide and protect them from the horrors they had experienced and from any other anguish they may encounter. I wanted the horror, the violence, and the war to just stop. I would like to think that we can all agree with that sentiment, at least in some way. Now you may be thinking, why should I watch this movie? Why would I want to experience this? Well, that's a good question, and I guess my answer is a multi-layered one. Come and See is a deeply human film. It's a film that does what few can and continues to do, which is a testament to its greatness. It makes you feel something. At the heart of art, isn't that what it's all about? As I said in the beginning, I believe everyone should see this film, as there is truly no other like come and see. I think we as a species could use a look in the mirror to see just how terrifying and cruel we can be, and perhaps be compelled to stop acts and mentalities like that from happening in the future. I'll leave you with this. After its release, Klimov never made another film. When asked why, he stated, quote, I said all I needed to say. End quote. It's the greatest anti-war film ever made, specifically because of the reaction people get when watching it. Horror. War should horrify us all, and Come and See is a grave reminder of that. If you'd like to watch Come and See for yourself, you can find it on the Criterion channel. 
The Criterion channel has different pricing structures, including $10.99 a month or $99 per year, which is what I chose to do. If you like film, I highly recommend a free trial just to see how you like it. Apart from the Criterion channel, you can also find Come and See on Amazon for $3.99 to rent. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, to visit our website at glazedcinema.com. There, you'll find some background on the show and also a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, the blog page on our website features each episode in written form as well. Glaze Cinema was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content including hints about episodes before they air. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema. Cinema.